0: Lord be with you, everyone, and I look forward to seeing some of you in the next number of weeks, months, and the uh, details are both behind me on the screen, but also they're on our webpage, and really make, make an opportunity of joining us, and also I can now confirm that I will be uh, doing a tour in the UK in the month of October. And that will be a double blessing because I know there are many of you watching there, but also, of course, it's the land of my birth, and to come back and see the country will be a double blessing. Anyway, I want to finish... No, I won't, I won't go that far, but I'm going to continue to address where we were last week. Only I'm going to use another text in order to pick up what I didn't say last week and go on to yet more. And it's in First Peter, the epistle of First Peter and in chapter three. And I'm not going to read the context. It is Um, describing believers that were in days of persecution, pressure, harassment, and very difficult to be a Christian in that day. And to those harassed Christians, Peter writes in verse 15, and I'm starting in the middle of the verse, he says, always being ready to make a defense, or that's not a good word so much as explanation, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So you get the picture. Here are these Christians who are living under great uh, negative pressure because of their faith, and yet there are persons who are coming to them and asking them to explain. Um, and when it says give a defense, it means lay out the facts, uh, prove your point. We want to know where you're coming from. We want to understand what kind of faith you have that produces such a hope as we see in your life. Now, that, that's, that's one little verse in the middle of that context, but I find myself fascinated with that. Um, they had a hope. Now, that's the word that um, we were looking at last time we were together, and I pointed out that the word hope in the Scripture is utterly other than that which we meet on the streets and in the marketplace of today. Let me put in succinctly what hope in the Scripture means. Uh, First of all, I would say that it is restful. And that is, it's restful in that you're not struggling to get there. You're not trying to be hopeful. This is a gift of God. This comes with this glorious package that we call salvation. It is worked in us by the Holy Spirit. It is hope that is restful. But you have to include the word confident there is absolutely no double-mindedness about biblical hope. The hope of the gospel is sure. Um, you would hear it maybe in a verse you're familiar with in Psalm 23, where at the end of that psalm, David writes, Surely goodness and loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life. And that word surely would be what we're talking about here. There's hope. It is by confidence. Surely. This is not something up for debate. And it is, you can add the word guaranteed. It's guaranteed by the being of God himself. Maybe the word that sums it all up. It would be a word that we could retranslate this word hope into expectation. that really is the word we should be using, because the word hope, I say, has lost all its meaning today. Expectation, and that has in it something of excitement. It is something of the expectation of a child on Christmas morning. It's got the idea of standing on tiptoe, waiting, expecting and and so hope it is it's the rest of god it is confidence it is living in god's guarantee it is an expectation of what I would say a good end in a matter. That is, it's not just hoping about the future in general. It is very specific. You are restful in that what is happening in the hand of God will be a good end, a good result. This is going to blossom out into a manifestation of God's goodness, that you're confident it doesn't matter what the darkness is, it doesn't matter what the opposition is, you have an expectation of an end that is in, uh, what shall I say, in accord, in harmony, and consistent with the goodness of God, because it arises from God, and it is then defined in history, and this is a very important point, is defined in history by the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus ended the rule of death and ended the word impossible and introduced a new life altogether governed by God's own hope. Now, that's a lengthy way of putting it, but that's what we're talking about. This is a gospel hope. This is the hope that arises from the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You see, when we talk about sin, the, the lie that entered the human race, we, we have to understand one or two things that aren't often talked about, and that is, it was the entrance of death— now, careful how you use the word "death," it's much bigger than the way we look at it. It's not merely the event when life goes out of our body. Uh, death is the rule of futility. Do you know that word futility? It means going around and round in endless, meaningless circles. Futility. And death is futility. It's going nowhere. it means uh well, I've already just used the word meaninglessness that I put my hand to task and, and realize that when all is said and done, death will have its way in the end, and it's all futile. It's going nowhere. Frustration has its roots in death, um all loss. So you stand in front of an impossible situation, as far as you can see, and to realize another situation where if you've put your hand to it, there's a certain futility to it. Um, I'm just going around living life in circles. It brings despair. All those ideas are there within Death but you could sum it all up to say that death is really the world drained of hope. It means that um what what is it in Ephesians chapter two? I do believe where it, it describes this world system a- as they, they have lost their contact they're, they've they're now separated within their own mind and, and uh, feelings they're separated from God, and it says not only separated from God but they are without hope. It, that's the way the Bible calls it this world of death. It's, it's a hopeless world. So what, what does that world that now is under the rule of the great lie concerning who God is and who we are, how does it define hope? Well, that's, that's the problem that we've been talking about these hours together. Hope has come to mean the very opposite, it had to for humankind to retain its sanity. And so, hope today, especially today, um, it describes uncertainty. The, the very opposite of the word hope, hope today describes uncertainty. You know, you hear it if you go into a place where there's been a crisis or a crisis is in happening. You'll hear it in hospital waiting rooms, and people use this word, and they use it quite a bit, actually. They're, and they say, "Well, we can only hope." Well, you see, that's you—you you can never say the word hope like that because when you say the word like that, we can only hope. And and you're really—it's a tonal word. It's 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 not so much the word you use, is the way you sound as you say it. It, it means that um, it, it could go either way. You see, I'm uncertain, totally uncertain. It could go either way. And and it actually, I can hear your voice. It, it really—I—I—I'm I, facing the fact—is going to go bad. But, well, I can only hope, which means I'm I'm placing a bet on it going good, but I think I'm going to lose my bet, right? You get what I mean? It's, I hope so, but I'm just desperately trying to be positive in a situation that I already perceive is ruled by the negative Uh, hope today. I tell you what, it, it becomes like keeping your fingers crossed and saying, well, I hope so, or all we can do now is hope. Ever heard that one? Yes, you see. Um, It's no longer hoping in God. It it has come to me now an expectation that is within the limits of our human ability. And therefore, when human ability is, is fading, then our hope fades with it, because we're no longer hoping in God that was flushed down the toilet in the fall of humankind. No longer trust in God, trust in yourself and trust in others that seem to you to have the ability. And when you can't do it and they can't do it, then I lose my hope. We, we today... Um, hope is placed in governments. I don't know how people can do that, because every government fails one way or another, one after another, and yet still people come back hoping in the government, hoping in some human figure of leadership, hoping in human authority that it will finally bring the peace and joy that we look for. It became um, a word associated with with money, so that um, we we hope in money, boy. And and do you know this? The people who hope in money more than anybody else are those who don't have it. It's the people who who, who they hope they'll spend their salary on the lottery, because they, they hope that if they won the lottery, if they had money, if they had more money and more money, then all would go away that would ever be negative. They they would come into a world of peace and positive. Money becomes the great god of hope. Um, also, of course, hope, as I've already said, really becomes the world of denial. You know, I, I, I can't face what is happening, so I say, well, I hope it will get better. It's the sort of thing when you're in the pits of darkness and someone pats you on the back and says well cheer up old chap you know cheer up um no it's denial but that that's futility again it's, it's fantasy it's not hope it's not hope hope is not trying to be cheerful hope isn't closing your eyes to what's closing in on you and of course all of the above becomes the fertile soil of anxiety because as, as we're trying to do this thing we call hope, um, all, all positive is in process of draining and then we're, we're, we're hoping in a bad end and hope in a bad end is anxiety, we're, we're brilliant at that, going into all unknown futures and imagining all possibilities of doom and darkness. And, and that, that's hope, only it's turned on his head and, and turned certainly far from what the biblical word is talking about, um, just the expectation that the human mind can come up with, human ability. But it becomes that expectation of I am not. And so I see how this backwards word. Uh, I hope in my am notness. I, I'm not gonna be able to I, I'm not gonna be able to do it. I don't have the resources, resources in me. I have not. And, and then it rises, I'm putting in my heels and I'm pushing back and saying, I will not. Uh, and then all the unease and the anxiety that everything's going to be lost. Well, I, I suppose if you turn to religion, you should get hope, because there's so much hope about it in the Bible. But you see, religion cannot imitate hope. Um, it, it's It's got its own, uh, well, what can I say? Its own definition of hope. Because religion will appeal to your human ability, and you've got to try to do better. You've got to try to be like Jesus. Yeah, that give you anxiety. Um, you've got to try and produce this morality of life, and, and so life becomes like a, a, a string of moral duty, and, and the, the religion will continually encourage you. You can do it. You can do it. Try hard. Try hard. Um, but then it places the word hope after death. Now, that's very important because our hope does extend into the world beyond the end of this life, does it ever, but that's not the meaning of the word, whereas religion takes it and places it in total after death. In in looking at these verses, I might have said this the last time, I, I looked at what The commentators say, some fellows, I really know them, and um, I'm I'm just shocked at what they say. They, they, They just simply skip over our now existence and say all that the Bible says about hope is for when we die. I, I suppose that's why the best man, some people can do with the gospel is to say, "Do you know where you'll spend eternity? Um, nothing to do with now. Nothing to do with now. You just carry on in the old miserable futility." But you see, it's after death. After death. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know where you're going when you die? Have you ever had that asked to you by bright-eyed little evangelists? You know, it, it's um, no, 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 no yes, my hope extends beyond death, for one day I'll have a body that is like unto the body of Jesus, and one day that shall last for the ages of ages to be with Christ, which is far better. I believe in life after death, but don't say that's the meaning of the word hope. Hope begins right now, Hope comes into the marketplace where you work. Hope comes into your home with all that can happen inside a family. Hope extends to my mind. It extends to my imagination. Hope dances in the physical cells of my body. Hope. No wonder it says that these unbelievers came to the believers and said, please tell us, explain to us this hope that you have, that that in, invades the way you act and invades the way you look at life. Please tell us about it. It's, it's, they, di- they didn't say, please tell us where you're going to spend eternity, of course not. Of course not, that, that's, as I say, the church has totally missed it. I wonder why the world doesn't listen to them anymore it's why, because you're not speaking to the pain that I'm in, you're not speaking to the living hell that I'm in right now, and I'm, to these people, the world says, but we say you've got hope, you're not living where we're living, yet you're living beside us, what is it, what what hope do you have, it's this hope, this, I call it gospel hope, it is it, a, that finds its source in, in the one that we saw last week, main, means the God of hope, it, it's the continual, he's the source within me of this hope, and he's the inspiration, he, he's the continual feeding of this hope. It's no wonder that that hope rocked the the world of its day, and any day it will rock that world, because it, it comes and beautifully invades, quietly invades, because it invades through you, invades the world of hopeless darkness and despair. They asked, "Over the, that that got me." I I had to share this if it, if it was just that phrase. They, the unbelievers, unbelievers who were ready, mind you, to throw these Christians to the lions, yet they come and they're curious. In fact, they they have a curiosity that demands somebody give us an answer. They ask for an explanation of the hope that they saw in the believers. you, you say, why, why Why is that amazing? Well, of course, it is amazing just by being there, um, that they were living such lives, but it was a hope that could be explained. You, do you get what I'm saying? It's a hope that could be explained. And, and And the unbeliever was asking for an explanation... And in this verse, the Holy Spirit is giving um, the unbeliever the, the right. Ask ask for the explanation and tells the believer, you be ready to give an explanation uh, of, of the hope that you have. That, that's fascinating because it means that this dynamic hope that we have and you do have it's not, how can I put it? And, I, and I'm, I'm putting quotation marks around spiritual. You know what I mean? A spiritual explanation? Um there, There's a lot of, um, you, you could call it upstairs, only there are no stairs, <laughs> you know? People live in a weird wonder world that doesn't connect with any common sense on this earth. And it's so, so spiritual, and it gets into their voice, so they have a funny accent to it. And it gets into their eyes, so they look all gooey and like a bloodhound. And, and they're spiritual. And they, they couldn't talk for two seconds to a person on the street, because they're, they're not talking within the realm of time and space. It's not connected with human logic. It doesn't fit in the daily life of this natural world. I, I was talking to someone not so long ago, and, and they were describing this experience, which sounded a bit weird. And And I said, now tell, tell me, how was it that you... Where's this experience coming from? And they looked at me... And with, without a blink, they said, well, you see, there were five geese flying over my head and then it turned into the shape of the cross and, and my life was ever changed. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. That is not an explanation. That's happening somewhere upstairs in your head, but there's no stairway from here to there. Uh, it's, it's a spirituality, but I tell you what we've got a lot of today and that is feelings, you know well, where are you coming from? How is it that you, you, you know, handle life? You say, well, I, I went to church on Sunday nights at the altar call, and I got this feeling, you know, a feeling of, well, I'm glad for you, but that won't be here by Wednesday, you see, because feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are connected with your hormones, just for starters, and, and, and feelings are um, held up or held down by what's happening to you. And so, to have had a feeling. See, truth is not a feeling. Truth is not a feeling. And the great words of the gospel are not feelings, primarily. Even love, joy, and peace, and this word hope, primarily, they're not a feeling. They are rooted. They are rooted in reality, that will even contradict my feelings. And so there are days, and I speak to you the truth of me, there are days when I do not feel the peace. I do not feel the joy that passes all understanding. I, no, I don't because I am in a situation where the pressure is great, but in such days I can tell you that the hope and the joy and the peace that I'm talking about contradicts my feelings and rises above my feelings. See, truth is truth whether you feel it or not, and this hope of God himself in you is the truth, whether we feel it right at this minute or not. But we go and we rest in that which is, and it contradicts and rises above what we feel. And, and so, say you, you, you do not share with, with your office how you're feeling. If you're going to answer their questions that the Holy Spirit has put in them to ask... Then it says, give an explanation. And that means something that connects with our world and history. And, you see, number one on that list, we, we should, at least in our own hearts, begin with the incarnation. Um, why, why do I have this hope? Where, where does my faith find its rootage, it is that God joined us in the incarnation. You say, well, that's a bit spiritual. Um, actually not. It happened within our history. It happened within our history to the point where it actually date today's date by that event. Um, it, it It's not something that comes to us with legend. It's not once upon a time, a long time ago. No, it happened. And in fact, if you read the story in Luke's gospel, he piles it on, telling us every government official who was there when Jesus was born. Oh, oh no, but again, the the resurrection took place in our history. Maybe it's time that some people realize that. We, we, we are not based on something that happened 10,000 years ago in a fog of mystery and perhaps and maybe in weird gods and goddesses. No, it happened inside our history and it happened with witnesses who were very human, who did not believe it could happen in the first place, but were confronted with this act of history in which God who has now taken to himself our humanity, took that humanity to death and rose from the dead. And I say again, inside our history. And, and we can date it. That's why we celebrate the resurrection in the spring of the year, because we know exactly when it happened. We've got an exact date, you see. And the Holy Spirit came to live inside of us. Again, he came and joined uh, this great unfolding of salvation. He, He who had been in and upon Jesus now came in and upon believers on the day of Pentecost and again a specific date we can we can date it and we can say where they were and this is what happened and so we now today live in the holy spirit right inside our history i, I don't live in a fantasy world i don't live in some upstairs i put it this way the believers didn't come into jerusalem uh, and uh, out of the desert uh, and say, well, we were in this cave, you see, and uh, f- we we had the, these you know spooky experiences, and <laughs> you do understand this, don't you? That the the gospel is is rooted in reality, and uh, if if your your faith is hanging by the spider's web of some strange feeling you had, or some strange things you saw floating around. No, that's that's not the gospel. The gospel says that dated within our history, God became one of us, became incarnate. Uh, and that incarnate God, whose name was Jesus, died a genuine death, and the clock was ticking, and if you went to the cross, you get a splinter in your hand. This is not legend stuff. This happened. And he rose out of the death, death. I've been to his tomb in Jerusalem, not the one inside the city where all the priests are fighting each other. I mean outside, just where the Bible says it was. I've sat on that tomb, inside that tomb, where the body of Jesus lay. This is history. And there was a day when the Holy Spirit entered into the human race, and there was a day when I realized that and experienced that same spirit inside of me, and that had a radical exchange. I discovered who I was. In fact, I would put it like this, that the incarnation, God became a baby in a mother's womb, was born. But when that god who has now become one of us was born we in turn now have entered into the world of being real humans god became human and that made humans real humans because that's what we were created for for such a union with god and it's real you see and i'm sorry but so much today is a god of whimsy you know how many times I hear it, I could scream. People say, "Well, God showed up this morning. He showed up. Now you're back to the geese flying over. Uh, God showed up. What do you mean? He showed up? Just a no, no rhyme, reason, no basis. We had all we all felt so wonderful. Was, no, you see, God showed up. God dwells in me. I live in Him. I sleep in Him. He is in me 24-7. And I've got my logic in history as to when he achieved his glorious end. And now that end is inside of me, inside of you. This is the foundation of your hope. Please, please, don't be so spiritual as to be unable to sit down with your curious neighbor and give a simple answer that can be understood in his world. You say, well, he, they, they wouldn't believe the resurrection, no, but you're reporting that which has happened in history, a- and that's very different. If if someone says they, they had a weird feeling and they feel happy ever since, um, well, I can't relate to that at all. But here's someone who can give me a logical statement that they, they have... Believed upon a Jesus who is alive this day. That, that's in a different world. We, we've we've seen the hope, um, and and that hope is not a feeling. It is in Jesus Christ, the historical Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who now lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And of course, notice that it was the unbelievers who started the conversation. Um, that's interesting. The, the the Christians did not go up to them and shove a tract in their face and say, you've got to hope in Jesus. Um, well, of course, in those persegu- days of persecution, you, you wouldn't do that anyway. But no, it was the unbelievers who looked at these believers who, because of persecution, kept their mouth shut, tried to live under the radar, but they were caught, they were found. Because of what? Because of the way they were living. It wasn't so much what they were saying, but they were living in such a fashion, they radiated through the way they lived— A way of life, a way of hope, which demanded of the unbelievers, please, you've got to tell me how you do this. So, it tells me that hope begins, shall I say, in an attitude. Hope changes your attitude. Now, attitude is very interesting because you don't have to say anything to have an attitude. Come on. If you have a teenager in the house, you know what I mean. There's not a word spoken, and yet I've probably heard you say, as you talk to the teenager, you've got an attitude. It means there's a look on my face, there's a dead look in my eye, there's a way I do things that announces a million words, attitude, attitude. And, of course, attitude includes the flow of thoughts in my head, which include thinking of myself, but also thinking of everybody else and what I think of them. Um, It includes imagination, uh, pictures of myself and everybody else in this world. Attitude. Well, hope is an attitude. Hope is a way of seeing that is what can I say, you finally find reality. Hope brings light to my eye. Hope brings an attitude of love and expectation of the presence of God in this moment. Hope brings an imagination of a good end and God at work therein. It means... I look at you with a different look because I have hope for you even if at this point you don't see it. And hope gets into a conversation even when the conversation isn't about hope or anything spiritual. Hope gets into the conversation. It's the way you talk about life. You know, you, you hang around the water fountain at work and it's the most negative place in the building. Everybody's got a to complaint. To everybody has, has got a moan and a whine. Hope doesn't go there. Hope sees the good end. Hope, therefore, sees the goodness of God even in this present moment when other people can't see it. Hope, therefore, is. It's always bubbling with joy, genuine joy, not mere passing happiness. And, and and it comes out in your eyes. It comes out in the sound of your conversation. You just don't get down and dirty with gossip and slander and misery and complaint. You just don't go Hope doesn't go there. Hope is ultimate positive. But it's not just optimism it is rooted in the God who is positiveness he is the God of hope he's the engineer of hope and and it gets I say it gets into your conversation but you haven't said a word about Jesus yet you are actually being him in every word you say so when you look at the events of life it's the way you anticipate the way things are going it's the way you look when you have a challenge put in front of you. It's the way you are when there's an opportunity. And, and it's the way you respond in a day of threat, you say, And it extends to the way you look at society. You haven't given up on the world because, well, your God joined the human race and announced, therefore, the most positive expectancy of that race. And so, the finale of hope, because of it does then get into your actions. Um, and um, by the way, uh, hope doesn't get into that silly stuff um you know the, the what what you you dress, the habits you have, and i i I was talking to a non-believer. And he was saying, "Yeah, we we've got Christians who who work at my my office." And I say, "Well, have, have they have they ever shared with you the, this gospel?" And they said, "Oh, yeah, they told you we can't smoke and we can't drink and we can't chew and got to watch what we see on TV." And that's not the gospel. You, you mean that that's all you've given to to the the world around you? The your your new preferences about life because of your faith, well, thank God, you've you that. that's fine, I'm not arguing with you. But to present that, a list of negatives, that you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't go there, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that, that's not the gospel. That's what you're doing right now for whatever reason, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is 110% positive. This is, this is now what I've discovered in Jesus. This is the joy. This is the peace. And all P.S. I don't need to do that anymore because the peace. I don't need to do that anymore because I found like such joy in Christ Jesus. Anyway, that, that's an aside. No, it, it changed their action. These people had a hope that was worth dying for. Can you, can you swallow that? The, the, the hope that these people had they, they were, and they, the people they worked with knew it, that the, the the emperor could just get in his head one day, this, this would be the next bunch thrown to the lions, burned at the stake, and yet they, they, they still believed, they had a life that was so incredible, it was a life worth dying for, because yes, indeed, it went beyond this life, a hope in God, Oh, this wasn't just a moral code. This wasn't saying, "Well, you really ought to try harder to be a nice person." Carried out as a burden. No, these people were alive, with a life that oozed through the very pores of their skin. The unbelievers saw that. You can't miss it. They 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 didn't go to judgmental persons who were going to judge them for what they did and judge them for not believing. No. They, they went to persons that had been caught up in a hope, a God hope, that actually gave to them joy and peace that was expressed with an abundance of life. A, life. a hope and expectancy in life that not only reached into how I worked in the marketplace, but also I can sit down and s- seriously talk to you about this is what has happened in history, and it has happened in me. I have met this Jesus. Um, it's not just an idea I have. A, I, I'm not studying religion, you say, I've got a theory. It's a dynamic relationship with the God of hope. That's what he's talking about. And it was a unique hope that arose from the discovery that God is love. And that love's ultimate action was in Jesus Christ and the resurrection. I I came to a, a conclusion that it's shocking to me that I'm so late in life to have come to this realization. It was a realization that the average person in the U.S. doesn't believe that God is love. Now, I might have been naive, and I'm being very honest right now. I have preached um, for for nearly 70 years now, and, and I've always believed, although maybe some of my conclusions have caused eyebrows to be raised, I've always believed that Christians, and even some non-Christians, believe that God is love. You know, I I believe that at least we can agree with that. And in talking to some folk recently, I realized that's not true. I mean, it's really not true that, that churches are afraid when I say that God is love. And they have to counter that. And they say, just a minute, God, yes, God is love. And you can tell by the way they say it, they don't really believe it. But they say, God is love. But God is sovereign. And the way they mean it is that he could trample all over you just because that's God. He can do what he jolly well wants. And God is the judge. Well, God God is love. And I'm finding more and more, actually, in, in leadership, people are, they're backing off and they're saying, "You you don't go there, God. You, you, you don't say God is love. You say that. you've got to tell them God, God is the Punisher. God, God is the Lawgiver, and, and and you better keep His laws and obey God. If you preach love, you've got to you've got to tell them in the same breath that He's the Judge. It's amazing. Obviously the People who wrote the New Testament didn't get the memo, but um, the beginning of hope. You see, I notice those believers don't have much hope, nor would I if I believed in a God like that. No, he is love. He is love that is committed, covenant love, and committed to each of us because he owns his love. That is, he doesn't love you if you love him back. He owns it. He doesn't give us 50%, you know, um, interest in his love and say, well, I love you if you love me. No, that that's... He, he, he has invested the totality of himself and whether you like it or not, have responded or not, God is love and loves you. It's the beginning of all our hope. And of course, not only that hope that, you know, this is how he loves me. But God of hope means that that's who he is in himself, so that we will never speak to him and find that he's in a negative or pessimistic mood. You ever thought about that? I, I was in New Orleans once around this time of year, and um you know, they had Fat Tuesday and all the things that happened in New Orleans this time of year. And, and there were some dear people. And I'm not, I, I know what they were saying. And I, I blessed them in what they were trying to say. But I had a big sign. It said, God is in a good mood today. And I felt very sad. Very sad. Because if God's in a good mood today, then are you saying he was in a bad mood yesterday? Or you're certainly telling me he might not be in a good mood tomorrow. It's almost like saying this is on sale today and, you know, buy it while we, we have it. Because it will run out tomorrow. No, no. He is, the of, he is the God of hope. He doesn't have hope. He is hope which means he is incapable of negativity. He's incapable of pessimism. He is never going to put you down. He's never going to sneer at you and laugh in your face, mocking. No, 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 no. He's the God of hope. He is never frustrated. He is never in despair or in depression over you. He who began a good work in you is is not only committed to finishing that work, but is already rejoicing in it done. You never have to go to God in prayer in order to encourage him that he's got at least somebody left who believes him. I'll I'll leave that one. But he's never ambiguous. And and I know many people think he is, you know. I I go to him with my request, and at least the way we pray sometimes would suggest that um, we're we're really presenting something to God that is a brand new idea to him. Because we say now, I I don't know how you feel about this, but if it be your will, uh, it would be awfully good if you did something about it and and we're sort of i mean that kind of language suggests that his response would be well i'll consider your request i've i've never thought of that before I never made up my mind about it but i'll think about it and um i i'll i'll, I'll be calling you I'll, I'll tell you okay think about that maybe you've never thought about that before no, nor does he ever draw back and, and say, hold it, hold it, you know. I know, I know I said that. I, I know I said that. But you, you've got to understand, times have changed. It's a modern world, and it's difficult in this modern world to do what we did in the old days. So please, you know, I, I know I said it. I know I said it. But, um, well, let me see what I can do. Many people pray as if that's the answer they're going to get. Now, you see, we, we do not have hope in ourselves. We, we do not look to ourselves in order to produce a moral and positive lifestyle. Hope is not a moral position achieved with a struggle. But it, it's the result of the ultimate relationship. And that's what these curious unbelievers were asking for. You, you know this, this God of hope. You have a relationship to him. We've got nothing like it in, in terms of, of, of such hope in all our religions. Tell us, where, where are you coming from? You are coming from this life where there is no separation. You, you, you want this hope? It, it arises from the love of God and the word love or the Bible word agape. It, it means a love that insists on and pursues relentlessly uniting with you so that you are in him and he is in you. And that's what Jesus achieved. It's, it's not believing that God is sort of generally with us, his presence. I mean, he he is, but that's not that's not what love means. It, it is. It's not even obeying God, though. Of course, that's involved, um, but it's not trying to please God or serve Him. We can use all those words and totally miss what this is about. It is about no separation, no. no no chasm between you and God, even for a microsecond. This is union. Union. I mean two that are bound together, living simultaneously from the same life, seamlessly, so you're not speaking of him as if he's over there, nor does he speak of you as if you're over there. But it is, as, as Paul says it, for me to live is the Messiah. It's, I live, yet not I. It is Messiah who lives in me. In the Old Testament, which is a, a phrase we've, we've talked about so often, um, in, in our Bibles it's translated, the Lord is my and you fill in the blank there. But as I've told you a thousand times, the Lord should be the words, I am, the name of God. I am, is my. And he, now, now just let that sink in, even though you've heard me talk about it before. Let it sink in. I am the fullness of who God is. I am, is my And so from God in all his fullness is now talking about my way of life and my hope. And it is. And when you say is, there's no hesitation of will be or might be or I hope it will be. Is, is. And, and, And so this union right now The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ is, is your life. Not something that's going to happen after I stop talking. Not something that will happen two minutes from now. Is, right as I am speaking, as your heart beats with every beat, the reality is. Christ, the I am, is, is my life. And that my includes everything you are presently facing. Is now my is now my that bursts with hope. You see. You say how do I how do I get there? Well, to realize you are there. I, I, I know that sounds. I, I'm not being funny, and I'm not being cruel. The fact is, the scripture says. The God who is love put you there. He placed you in Jesus Christ. And where Jesus is, there you is. Right now, right at this moment, Christ is your life, and he lives in you. And when we face a crisis, and our feelings go crazy, at that time, now what's the word to use? I often use the word realize it. Be still. Stand still. You've got all the time in the world to worry and be anxious. You can afford to be still for five minutes. And be present. See, do you remember as they stood before the Red Sea? Do you remember that in Exodus? Uh, What was it? Chapter 13, 14. Um, And they're standing at the Red Sea And Pharaoh is descending upon them. And the word of God to those terrified people was uh, stand stand still. The, The Hebrew phrase there actually would be better translated as, be present. You know, do you remember when you went to school, or maybe this is too ancient for some of you, but they would call out your name and you would say present or something like that. It would mean I'm here, and hopefully it meant I'm here to study, but it meant I, I am present to this place, and that comes in many ways, in which your name is called, and you, you give indication I am here to be part of what is happening, and the word from God to those people was, stand still, that is, be present, announce yourself as present, Be consciously present to the covenant God of hope. Be present to Him. He's present to you. Be expectant of His now love to you. Be certain in your heart of His constancy. His unchanging person. The person who is limitlessly present to you. And as you are thus conscious of his presence, you will not be conscious of the approaching Pharaoh. You cannot be present to two things at the same time. I have presented to you this night the God who is present to us present to us in Jesus, present to us through the Spirit of Christ who now lives in us. That is so. And when all hell breaks loose against you, be still. That is, stop panic. Stop looking here, looking there. Be still and simply realize, and sometimes it's good to say it out loud, shout it out loud if you can, that he is my life, he fills my life, he is my strength, he is my wisdom, he is my way through. And so many have commented on that illustration I gave at our retreat, and then I gave it um, last week uh, about the little girl who doesn't know how to cross the street of uh, flying cars and buses. She doesn't know how. I might add to what I said. I suppose some idiot will come along and and say, well, now just stand there, little girl, and try and think, what would Daddy do? Yeah, try that one. Or try to be like your dad. No. No, that's religion at its worst. Because what she does is, in childlike trust, she puts her hand in the hand of her father She has no idea how he knows how to get across the street. She has no idea of how he can believe in his own work and person to get across the street. But she trusts him and puts her hand in his hand. And when she does so, she actually participates in his faith without even knowing how that is but you know it if you've had children. And when Daddy goes across the street through the traffic, she walks boldly beside him, not trying to be like Daddy, not pondering what would Daddy do, but simply trusting him, holding tightly to his hand. And he has the faith, and he has the wisdom, he has the know-how. And all she did, standing on the sidewalk was to be present that's it she had nothing nothing else don't don't just be present to daddy and sink into his hand and go where he goes this is a god of hope as i said he owns his hope he doesn't say i'm with you if you're with me he doesn't say you can share my faith if you've got faith enough That would leave me hopeless. But we hope in him because he has transmitted his hope to us in that great hand that engulfs our little hand. Well, I've still got a lot more to say. But I think if you take the last 15 minutes of what I have said tonight, you can be well on your way to dwelling in a life of hope that is filled with his faith, his joy, his peace. And you'll have the beginnings of a life that will cause your world to come and say, give us an explanation of the life you have. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing engulf you, eyes wide open to the hope of His calling, that you shall live from this day forth in glorious rest in who He is and who He is in you. So I bless you and declare over you that this is the way it is.